Here we go now. Yes? Oh, I love that song about bones. My bones will sing. I've since learned that the human body's got 206 bones. And so I was thinking about that again this morning as we were singing. From the stirrup, which is in the ear, smallest bone in the body, I think, to the big one in the leg. I know it's pictorial, but I loved it anyway. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the open door of the kingdom based around Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. So here we go. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So as we think about the open door of the kingdom, I want to, before I dig into the passage, look at the big picture of the open door of the kingdom. I want to show you a picture first of all. I'm sure you'll recognize what's in it. There we are. Yeah? Yeah, it's Buckingham Palace. What you might not know is how many rooms there are in the palace. There are 775 rooms in the palace. And one of the rooms is called the audience room. 
It's a room to which I will never be invited. Now, by audience, it doesn't mean like the audience you go to in a theater. The audience room is the room where significant people are invited to meet the reigning monarch. So let me just check. Do we have any ambassadors from any nations here? Okay. Any heads of state? Any members of the royal family? All right, so probably none of us are liable to be invited into the audience room. Here's a picture of somebody who was, and that's the prime minister, because the prime minister has the audience with the queen in the audience room. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John has these tremendous visions, starting with meeting the risen Christ, who has messages for different churches. Then the apostle writes this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. A door standing open in heaven. Then he goes on to write in the next verse, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Well, who's the one who's sitting on the throne? Well, the one who's sitting on the throne is the one who's opened the door. And who's opened the door in that case? Well, Jesus has opened the door. Why is there a door standing open in heaven? Well, there's a door standing in, open in heaven so that we can go through it, right into the audience room, if you like. The writer to the Hebrews puts it like this in chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the big picture of the open door. Now I want to look at some of the details of the text from Luke's gospel, which I read just now. And the first thing I want to emphasize is this. There's an open door. Let's picture the scene here in Luke's account. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched which tells us why Jesus was invited to the banquet. He was invited because they wanted to somehow trap him as a lawbreaker. That was the point of him being invited there. And he was invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee. So one of the big wheels, if you like, at the time. Now in those days, if you were invited to that kind of meal, that kind of banquet, it would indicate the status that you had within the community. And the nearer you sat to the host, the higher your status would be. It's a bit like when the queen has a state banquet. When she has a state banquet, the person, the people who sit the closest to her have the highest status. So at one of the most recent state banquets held in honor of the President of the United States, President Trump sat at the queen's right hand because he had the highest status at that banquet. So it's a similar kind of thing here. To, first of all, to be invited to the banquet, you had to have some kind of status, and it promoted your status within the community. The closer you sat to the host, the higher your status would be. In those days, there would have been no IMAX cinemas, no Wordle or computer games to keep you amused, no Netflix. And so a meal given by a prominent Pharisee would be seen as a social occasion to which people who were not invited could come into the house and stand on the edge. They could stand on the periphery and they could listen to what was being said 
and they could see what was going on, what the food was like, and so on. I remember uh, preaching in a village in India many moons ago, and it was dark, it was nighttime, and the people were sitting in front of me as I was speaking to them in a village. But round about, and as I was preaching, I could hear continually a murmur of conversation. It wasn't the people who were sitting listening, because they were sitting listening. And afterwards, I said, what was that? Why was there a lot of conversation going on? And the reason was because in that village, not much entertainment. And so when there was an occasion like someone coming to speak at the village, people would come around the edge and they would listen to what was going on. Well, it's a similar thing going on here as Jesus is attending this meal. It was a form of social interaction. So on this occasion, who would be standing on the fridge, fringe at this meal? Well, it'd be the poor people. It would be those who were deemed lower class, who might learn something from their betters. And who would be seated at the table? It would be the so-called, or reclining at the table, it would be the so-called wise and the prudent of the day, the experts in the law, the well-heeled, in other words, the one who would be greeted with respect in the marketplace, the ones who decided if you were in, or you are out. So there's a man here who comes who suffers from an abnormal swelling of his body. Some other versions of the Bible describe it as dropsy. And we would call it today edema. And that's a kind of uh, disease where your body swells. And it's caused by congestive heart failure, liver failure, kidney failure, and malnutrition. And if it's untreated, it's very dangerous. And Jesus heals the man. And silences his critics with his questions. He then tells a parable in verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. It would be a bit like today at a wedding. You know, you have what's called at a wedding the top table. And at the top table, the bride and groom sit. And then on either side of the top table, usually, will sit the nearest and dearest whoever that may be, maybe mums and dads of the bride and groom and that kind of thing, bridesmaids and so on. It would be like if, if you or, or me were invited to a wedding, but we were, you know, we, were, we knew the bride and groom, but we weren't that close to them, but we kind of knew someone. We had some kind of connection. And it would be like if I went into that wedding and I decided I'm going to sit at the top table. And of course, some would come along and say, actually, Ron, um, that's reserved for the bride's father. Could you just go down there? So there's a similar thing going on here on this occasion. Jesus is watching what's going on, and he sees some of the people who want to go to the place of honor, the one that's going to give them the most status. And Jesus says something. He concludes the parable in verse 11, where he says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus is using this occasion to teach important truths. So around the table, the Pharisees, the experts in the law, and they followed very strict legal traditions. Jesus condemned them for it. He said, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you forget the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy. They were the ones who decided if you were in or out, if you were included or excluded. They set the rules, but they didn't keep them themselves. They saw themselves as a cut above everyone else. 
In other words, they exalted themselves and they humbled others. But here Jesus turns it on, his head, on its head. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, what's this got to do with the open door of the kingdom, you might be thinking? Well, let's think, what might it mean to exalt yourself? And what might it mean to humble yourself? To exalt yourself means to think. It's not actually a smashed TV screen that I've taken a photograph of, although it might be. It's like there's a picture there. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're Pharisees, so don't get that impression. But the Pharisees of the day could not see the open door. They just could not see it. Now let me show you the next picture, because I'll show you what was, what's in the picture. That's actually what's in the picture. It's a picture of a shark. So the Pharisees looked, but they did not see. Jesus said that, didn't he? He said, you'll look, but you won't see. You'll hear, but you won't understand. And the reason was they rejected who Jesus is. The point is, do you see that there was an open door into God's presence? An open door to having all your sins forgiven. Are you able to humble yourself to see that? An open door to having God, the fountain of life, welcoming you freely into his kingdom for you to know that you're not excluded, but included into his family forever. And the great thing is this, we didn't open the door. Jesus opened the door when he died on the cross. It is finished, he cried. He gave his life so that we could know God and gain eternal life with him in heaven. Well, that's something to rejoice about, isn't it? So there's an open door. The second thing I want to say is this, point others to the open door. Jesus then turns to the host and tells him, in effect, to give to those who can't repay him. In other words, don't just give to those who can repay you now, but to those who can't, because God will repay you in due season. Jesus is saying, include those who are normally excluded. <clears throat> well, who might that be in our society today? Who might be looked down upon today that we could be a blessing to? <clears throat> it's a wonderful thing to feel included. I don't know if any time in your life you felt excluded in, in any setting in some way. Maybe because of your lack of education. Maybe because of the color of your skin. Maybe because of your sexuality. You've been excluded. Now I want to show you a video, a very powerful video of an American high school teacher called Erin Gruel. She was tasked <clears throat> with teaching young people who grew up in the world of gangs, drugs, violence, and prison. The young people were deemed unteachable. In the video, the, you'll see one of the students called Maria, and you'll also see Anne Frank is mentioned. Now, for those of you who don't know who Anne Frank was, she was a Jewish girl who hid from the Nazis with her family during World War II, but they were betrayed, and Anne ended up dying in a concentration camp at the age of 16. But while she was hiding from the Nazis, she wrote a diary that after the war was published. Here's part of the video. This little girl, she was so defiant. She had an ankle monitor, she had a probation officer, uh, she had a father who was in a maximum security prison. And I found out that she had just been released from juvenile hall 
a few days before school started. There was no way in hell that somebody like her and that looked like her was ever gonna make a difference in my life. So she picked up her pen and she wrote, I hate Aaron Gruwell, and if I wasn't on probation, I would probably shank her. And in that moment, there was a part of me that panicked and I thought, I'm not a counselor, I am not a therapist. How am I supposed to help these kids change? And I was told by the, by the chair of my English department that my kids would never read a book from cover to cover because they were too stupid. So without really thinking it through, I just got in my car and I drove to a bookstore and I, and I ordered 150 copies of the diary of Anne Frank and I gave them the book. Well, when I gave Marie the opportunity to pick up that book, at first it wasn't so easy because she truly did not want to read it. In her mind, Anne Frank was not Latina, Anne Frank did not come from the hood. Uh, I opened this stupid book because in the back of my mind, I thought that I was gonna prove Ms. Girl wrong. She would come back every day and she would ask questions about Anne kind of in juxtaposition to her gangster mentality. And I, I realized that she's actually reading. It started getting interesting when things started going bad. That's when I thought, okay, maybe she's not this spoiled little girl that I thought she was. Maybe she doesn't have a perfect little life. And that's actually when I took a liking to her. I came to the entry where she's describing this window, her only connection to the outside world. She couldn't even put her hand outside because one of the Gestapo or somebody would know that they were in hiding. When then this bird lands close to her, um, to the tree and outside the window, and she writes, um, Sometimes I feel like a bird in a cage and I wish I could fly away. I was able to relate to that feeling of knowing the outside world and only having this certain connection to it. And from then on, I knew she was gonna make it. She had to make it. She was gonna make it because why else would we be reading this book? And she's gonna make it because she's a good person and she hasn't done anything wrong. Maria came in one day, stormed in and threw the book across the classroom and said, why didn't you tell me? And I was kind of taken aback and I said, T tell you what? And she said, why didn't you tell me that Anne dies? At the very end when she doesn't make it, I felt that disappointment that I felt every other time in my life when I really believed in something. It was that same feeling of going to the window and waiting, hoping that my father was gonna come home and he didn't. Uh, every feeling of disappointment all of a sudden came crashing together at that moment because I so desperately wanted her to make it. Because if she didn't make it, then what were the, the chances of somebody like me, was a bad person, actually making it? Well, I, I find that very moving every time I watch it. And Erin Gruel, the teacher, in that video, she said, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I guess it's true of many of us. But as I thought about it, I thought, well, to whom can you be a blessing to in your small corner of the world with what the Lord has given you? And what impact might that have on their future? Aaron Gruel went out and reached out to those who were excluded 
and she taught 149 students, and as far as I know, every single one graduated. I felt the Lord say to me as I was preparing this, be a blessing to those for whom the door seems closed and point them to my open door. That's something I'd like us all to be thinking about. How can we point someone in our small corner of the world to the open door? Third thing I want to say is this, you are invited. Jesus does not exclude you. Verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. True, but Jesus goes on to say, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. The man in the parable is God. There are two invitations. The first is to tell them that they're invited to the banquet. So in other words, there's a banquet coming, you're invited, put the date in your diary, here's the date, make sure you can come on that day, get everything arranged, you know, get babysitters if you need it, but you're invited to that banquet, I'd love you to come, da-da, first invitation. Put the date in your diary. Notice this is an invitation to a great banquet. It's not a takeaway. The second is to tell them that the banquet is now ready. It's now ready, the table is all laid, all the meats have been cooked, fruit, desserts, everything is ready, the table is heaving. Now come! Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. Now, under the Old Testament law, there were reasons for being allowed not to go to war. So some of the reasons were, if you just built a house but had not lived in it, you didn't have to go to war. If you'd planted a vineyard but hadn't had a chance to eat the fruit, you didn't have to go to war. If you just got married but hadn't had time to enjoy the marriage, then you didn't have to go to war. So in a way, they were trying to be very subtle here with Jesus. But the point is this. They weren't being asked to go to war, these guests. They were being invited to this great sumptuous banquet. And so the owner, the the one who's invited, gets angry. Verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Because they're not simply rejecting the banquet They're rejecting the one who's invited them to the banquet. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So go and specifically invite those who are normally excluded in Israel. Those people, invite them in. So the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. In other words, go and invite those who are not of Israel. They are non-Jews. Invite them, compel them to come into my banquet. And if we are not Jewish here this morning, then we're in that category. Compel them to come in. I wonder if you've been in a situation where someone has wanted to be exceedingly generous to you. Anybody ever been in that situation? I've been in it a couple of times where somebody's been extremely generous. They wanted to give us something. And we said, oh, I couldn't possibly. That's that's far too much. No, no, no. No, no, no. Compel them to come in. This is a fantastic opportunity. This is going to be a great banquet. Compel them to come in. Don't just say, well, would you like to come? No, compel them. 
God gives each and every one of us an invitation to his banquet. No one is excluded. There's an open door. The prophet Isaiah describes it like this. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Now that is a banquet that I would like to go to. How about you? It's a banquet worth going to. God invites you. God includes you. There's an open door. And Jesus says, come through that open door because I have paid the price to get in. The Lord invites you to his banquet. There's an open door into the kingdom of God, into God's rule, to be loved and sheltered by the almighty God It's a wonderful place to be. There's an open door in heaven. Have you gone through it? If you have, then whatever ability the Lord has given you, use it to bring the message of the good news of God's open door to them. Amen. Lord, will you please help us? If we've not gone through the open door, I pray that today will be the turning point in our lives as we watch today, as we listen today. There'll be a turning point and we will make that decision. I'm going to go through that open door right now. And it's only a prayer away. And I pray as well, Lord, for those of us who've gone through that open door, that you would help us to be a blessing to others, Father, and to point them to the open door that leads to your wonderful, your glorious forgiveness and your beautiful presence, Lord. And I pray for these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.